Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and I'm joined by my uh, two co-hosts, uh, Ryan Ryan Sweet. Ryan's the Director of Real-Time Economics, and Chris, Chris Dorides, the Deputy Chief Economist. Well, guys, I'm back in the U.S. of A, and I have to tell you, I'm very happy to be back. Well, that was quite the voyage. That was. Yeah. Man. Do you count up the number of miles you flew? A lot of miles. I, I literally circumnavigated, circumnavigated the globe. Yeah. I did. Wow. Yeah. And actually, last night, I got back last Saturday. Um, last night was the first night that I actually slept eight hours. You know, I, I, when I first got back, I was getting up at three in the morning, then four in the morning, then five in the morning. Finally, six in the morning, and eight, I got eight hours because I went to bed at 10. So. See, Chris, he's laying the groundwork so he can say he's tired. No, I actually feel very good. All right. I feel I feel energized. Uh, I feel really. Uh, today's Friday. That's that's a good good thing too. So yeah. But now that you're back in the U.S., trouble always follows you. So it does. Your recession odds must now have been higher now that you're back. No, I did. Well, you look at the stock market today. What's going on? Oh, you, you, Lots you of green. Yeah, <laughs> stock market. It's funny how my stock mood. I'm, I'm telling you, my mood depends on if I, whether I see red or green on the screen. Not you guys. Does you don't feel the same way? No, it doesn't. Oh, okay. Try not Take to look. Stride. Try not to look. Yeah. I'm <laughs> no, looking all the time. A... I'm literally looking all the time. Yeah. yeah, you're looking at the stock market. If my kids are in a good mood, then I'm in a good mood. So yeah, that's a good point. That's, that's the most important. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. I was at your age. I was. I was felt the same way. Uh, well, it's good to be back, and we've got uh, a guest, John. John Lear. John, good to have you. Yeah, great to be with you today. John always looks rested. Have you noticed that? He never sure that. looks tired. I don't think they work him hard enough over there at Morning Consult. Ooh. He's got a cushy job. I think he's got a really cushy job. That's my guess. Look wow. at him. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, a Midwestern charm and uh, <laughs> uh, useful, a useful spirit. Hey, I didn't know so. you were from the mid. Where in the Midwest are you from? I grew up in Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. Oh, you don't have any Midwest accent that I can discern. Very neutral. Yeah, not, not, I don't have any of that sort of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Fargo style accent. Nothing. Even Michigan. The Michiganders. Yeah. Yeah. Michiganders have it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you. So uh, this is your second uh, foray on Inside Economics. You came back. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. I wasn't scared away. Yep. Ryan does that to people, you know. (laughs) A lot of people. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people. A lot of people. And uh, how, well, I wanted to ask you, because I think the last time you were on, you were building out your uh, group, your uh, group yeah. of economists at Morgan, Morning Consult. So, and it probably, it, 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 I'd like to know how that's going, but maybe just quickly, briefly tell us about Morning Consult again. So uh, for the listeners out there that didn't catch it last time you were on. Sure. Yeah. So in a nutshell, Morning Consult is a global decision intelligence company. So we use daily global surveys to try to inform insights and, and actions. I'm, I'm the chief economist, so I focus on our economic uh, economic intelligence, our economic data sets and analysis. We collect roughly 20,000 surveys every day across 44 countries on a range of economic indicators, and then release three monthly reports focused on spending, confidence, and uh, employment and labor markets. So we're just sort of constantly in this um, cycle, really trying to find ways to integrate our data into existing data sets, understanding those relationships, figuring out how our data might shed light on some otherwise um, 
uh, area of uncertainty or darkness. And we've got a team now of six, soon to be seven, but we got six full time right now. So that's really exciting. Uh, Scott Brave runs our economic analytics group. So he's doing a lot of the high frequency now casting and a lot of that sort of pretty fairly technical uh, forecasting work. And then he's got two folks underneath him, both from the board here, from the Fed board, uh, who are building out a lot of the data analytics work with him. And then I've got two uh, analysts, Kayla and Jesse, who do sort of sit in between and they do a mixture of the the writing and the narrative analysis, as well as some of the more technical forecasting. That sounds like a great team Um, and uh, hard to build out in this kind of labor market, isn't it? Yeah. Very challenging. It has taken, I I think it's basically taken since we spoke last, (laughs) basically a full, a full year. A year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, it's good. You guys do great work. I mean, the one thing that kind of highlights it for me is you run that daily uh, survey of consumers where you ask essentially the same questions that the University of Michigan asks in their survey, but they, they do it. I think twice a month and it's 500 people and that's right. You're doing it with tens of thousands of people, right? Yep. We, so every day in the U S we've got 6,000 surveys that we're running exact same, same five questions used by the university of Michigan. Um, so it allows us to get that very high frequency pulse on the state of the consumer. How are they feeling? It also allows us to do a lot of demographic and geographic breakouts that become fairly challenging with, you know, 500 completes a month. And then we can do the cross-country, the real-time cross-country comparisons too, which, you know, right now is top of mind for a lot of folks considering how troubled the world is. Yeah, I want to come back to that, the the consumer surveys uh, and what they're saying and how they vary across the globe. But before we do that, uh, I, I'd like to just talk a little bit up, a little bit about the economic data that came out this last week, and you know if that's affected anybody's thinking about the economy's performance or where it's headed. And I think this last week is heavy on housing data, so yeah. I thought maybe Chris, you could give us a sense of that and what what the data is saying about the housing market and perhaps the economy more broadly. Uh, sure. Yeah. So there are a number of uh, series that came out this week. This is a housing week in terms of uh, construction and sales. Uh, so the the general theme is weakening all around. That's not uh, that's nothing new. Kind of uh, well, like, at least following our script in terms of where we anticipate things to go here. Right, mortgage rates remain high. So the MBA mortgage applications data came in light. It was, uh, was down about four 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 and a half percent. Right, so clearly the 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 refinance market is basically uh, dried up, and uh, what mortgages are being underwritten are primarily um, purchases. That follows or is aligned with the sales data that came out this week. Existing sales came in at 4.71 million. It's down uh, from the previous number. So it's, uh, again, indication of the weakening, higher rates making it very difficult for people to afford homes, and sales are, are, are coming in. And then on the construction side, we also uh, saw signs of weakening. So building permits actually were uh, flat relative to August. So this is data for September, about 1.56 million uh, building permits between single and multifamily, roughly flat from what it was in August. But uh, housing starts were down and uh, housing completions, I think, were roughly flat, maybe up a, a bit. So clearly on the housing start side, Single family uh, housing is coming in and multifamily, although it's up, is 
it's not up uh, tremendously. All right, so it's it's holding its own, but it's not um, it's not accelerating at this point. And completions, as we would expect, uh, we did see some increase there, uh, but but quite modest as well. You know, uh, I'm, right before I got on this uh, podcast, <clears throat> I was on a uh, with a group of uh, economists that uh, so I think they called it an economic economic advisory panel for the New York Fed. And we talked through different issues and someone on the panel brought up the point, the dark irony of rising interest rates hurting housing supply. You mentioned housing starts declining. Yep. And of course, we need more supply to get rent growth down so that we can get housing cost inflation moderating. Because that's right now probably the biggest contribution, at least to CPI, consumer price inflation, I think right now is the accelerating cost of housing, which goes back to rents. Do you have a perspective on that? Any any views on that, uh, that kind of dark uh, irony of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a difficult situation. That's uh, simply put, uh, I think it, it continues to point towards the bluntness of the uh, uh, Fed's instruments. Monetary policy can't solve everything, right? <laughs> Um, and we actually do need more uh, fiscal support or fiscal adjustments here, I guess, to compensate and address this. This is really fine-tuning we're talking about here, right? We need more supply of housing, but we don't want to cause more inflation, all right? So uh, there, you need some type of fine-tuning that the, the Fed just can't handle with its, with its tools. Yeah, I made the point that uh, it depends on how high how long these high mortgage rates prevail. I mean, uh, because we do have a, a large number of homes in the pipeline under construction going to completion. In fact, I think it's a rec- still a record number. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's kind of piled up there because of the labor supply, the labor supply issues and the, and the uh, supply chain issues related to the pandemic. But now with an easing of those uh, supply chain issues, we're getting appliances and building materials now making their way here and the labor supply issues starting to ease up a little bit, you know, because of of the weakening in job growth hiring, then that will allow these homes in the pipeline under construction to go to completion. And that should help with supply at least for a while, maybe six, nine, 12 months. Uh, if, If rates remain elevated, for much longer than that, then then we got a big problem. We're going to see a big decline in su- supply coming to to the marketplace. Would you agree with that kind of assessment? Yeah, I would, and that's consistent with the data, right? The completions yep. are up, but the starts are down, right? So, and the permits, which I you know, that's future uh, building activity. That's I view that as the option, right? There, uh, builders are they do see these positive forces in terms of still lots of demand, demographically driven demand, especially. Uh, but the the cost to build is or cost of borrowing is preventative. But isn't right. there an issue though with you know one of the issues has been these older the baby boomers staying in their houses for longer as as home prices start to fall all of a sudden they're more likely to hold on to their houses mm-hmm. uh, less likely to move into the sort of you know the smaller uh, single floor ranch or something like that. So I guess I just wonder. You know, we, we're continuing to see sort of the sellers drop out of the market to fewer, fewer older adults saying that they're interested in selling their homes. Um, I wonder if that's sort of a dynamic at play in addition to the, the new home uh, part of the equation of just higher, higher input costs. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lock-in 
effect uh, across the board, right? Especially with the lower rates that people have been able to, to lock in on top of that. So not only a preference perhaps to age in place and not downsize, as you, as you mentioned, but even now the economics make it even less likely, right? Because they've locked in this uh, 3% rate uh, and moving it and locking in a 7% rate is just not, uh, not feasible uh, for most people. So, so John, you mentioned in your survey work, you're uh, finding that potential sellers are, are pulling their homes off the market. The share of seller of of home owners intent on selling their homes has mm. consistently fallen for the last eight or nine months. It was at fifteen percent in February of this year and down to ten percent now. So, I mean, I think that's what we're trying to sort of understand is that mismatch between the supply and demand over and in addition to the the new home part of the equation, which of course is important, just understanding um, this dynamic between potential sellers and potential buyers. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I'm m- m- sort of the narrative in my mind is because we've seen house prices decline here pretty sharply in a very uh, in a very short period. I mean, house prices mortgage rates started to rise in the spring. House prices appear to have peaked in June nationwide, and they're coming in now pretty fast. And according to our house price data, more than half the metro areas across the country now are experiencing house price declines. And in places like California, Chris, what what is it? What are price declines now in like San Francisco and I believe LA? it's around eight percent. Yeah, uh, some pretty big declines. So if, in a matter of months, right? So it feels like sellers are actually capitulating. They're saying, "Oh, these mortgage rates are going to are high." They're going to stay here for a while, uh, high for a while. Oh, oh, and by the way, there's a recession coming. So I better sell now. Otherwise, if I try to sell at six, nine, 12 months from now, I'm going to sell it at a lower price. And you're seeing prices come down very rapidly. But the volume in- of sales is down. Yeah, that's moment, true. Right? So, so it's consistent with the sellers yeah. taking their homes off the market. To, exactly. To, to yeah. John's data. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, so we actually out. saw that months of supply actually rose. Yeah. Right. But but that's a bit of a head fake, right? Inventories came down. It's just that we're not selling at the we're selling at a slower pace, right? So yeah, we often talk a lot about the new home market, but that's only ten percent of all home sales <laughs> right. existing. That was John was referencing. That's the key part. You know, people are just not going to list their homes now, right? Right, right. Um, so uh, let me, uh, Ryan, since we you you I heard your voice, so. Um, <laughs> Given and, and that's rare. I haven't. I, it took him this long for me to hear his voice. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, generally, I hear his voice. You know, kind of immediately. But well, I was going to point me, out that you just said a recession is likely. I said I just, they think a recession yeah, is okay. likely. They well, someone, think someone had, sellers. Someone yeah. had a quote in CNBC that you you know you take everything out of context. John he does this all the time. <laughs> no, is that right? Is that, yeah, Chris, he reads the headline. He doesn't. He doesn't got to dig deep. We got to dig deep into the. But we'll come back to that. We're definitely right. coming back to probabilities of recession. But I was going to ask you a question. Oh, based on uh, everything that's gone on this past week, all the economic data and everything else that's gone on, and a lot has gone on. Uh, is your sense of how the economy is performing and where it's headed changed at all, or are we still on track to that? that no, recession? I think we're still on track. I think our yeah. our baseline forecast is still roughly right that you know the economy is clearly slowed, and next year is going to be even more difficult. Uh, but you know, we got a lot of housing data this week. We got industrial production, which actually came in a little bit better than I anticipated, yeah. so that was yeah. encouraging. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know the parts of the economy that we would expect to weaken by higher interest rates 
you know, stronger dollars of so manufacturing housing, that's all kind of playing out to script. It's whether or not, and this is why it's great to have John on, can the consumer hold on? Uh, and if they do, then, you know, we can skirt a recession, but Whoa. nothing really this week changed my, my outlook. Uh, oh, well, what did he just, just say? We could skirt a recession. Didn't he just say that? We that's could, our baseline forecast. Yeah. So we, we yours, you, you think we can baseline. still skirt a recession? <laughs> No, you're I saying, didn't say you, I think we can. Oh, I said our baseline. baseline. Well, yeah. it's, it's possible is what you're saying. It's po- anything's it's possible. possible. It reminds me a little bit. I grew up uh, caddying and people would always ask me if it was going to rain. And the, the caddy master's answer was always eventually. Yeah. And I think, you know, right. So are we going to skirt a recession? It, will there be a recession eventually? Yes. Yeah, there eventually, will. Though. Yeah. I, I have a lot in common with you, John. I caddied too. Yeah. Did you really? I did indeed. That was like, uh, that was a I. That was a great job, I thought. Great job. Yeah. Really, really bad. Hard. You know, you, did you uh, double bag kind of? Eventually. I started when I was, the bag was bigger than me. So it took me a couple of years to, to grow into the, the phase where I could uh, carry a bag. But it was great. I got a, a partial college scholarship out of it. And um, Oh, you must have been a good lot. caddy. Jeez, you it must have been a great caddy. It almost sounds like the movie Caddyshack. A little bit. It was yeah. a little bit like that. There were some characters. Yeah. Well, you know what, Let, John, do you based, uh, I know you watch the economy very carefully from your prism yeah. uh, and uh, just a level set. Ryan is a very, is very bearish on the economy. Uh, what 70% probability of recession in the next 12 months, 70, 75, Mark. 75. Oh, Oh, Chris <laughs> is, it up. is he also it up. bearish. Not quite as bearish. Are you 70% Chris? I'm 70. I'll stick with 70. 70 and I'm at 55%. Uh, over the next 12 months, uh, not as bearish. I think you- I, would spl- I would split the difference probably. And okay. I would say a lot of it, um, oddly enough, is from all the data that we're collecting really over the last two weeks. It has just consistently come in lower than I would have expected. We have this, Scott Brave and Kayla built what they call the consumer purchasing power barometer. And just really starting to see instances of middle and high income consumers walking away from a pretty wide range of, of purchases due to higher than expected prices. And it's it's been a really strong indicator thus far, leading indicator of real PCE. And so I, I think, you know, it, it's hard to say, but I think the first quarter of 2023 is going to be marginally negative. Hmm. And then it's a question of what that second quarter will look like. I think it's going to be really, really close. Well, Q3... Uh, just then, and end of Q3, that's going to be positive, right? We, we're, yeah. Ryan, we're tracking around PP, 2%. 2%. Yeah. So, so John, I, th- did I misspeak? I'm talking about the first quarter of 2023. No, I know. But so, you're, oh, yeah. what do you think about Q4? You think Q4? No strong I, views. It'll be, I bet it'll be point something. Okay. <laughs> okay. Point something, either point something positive or negative, but it, it okay. looks to me like it'll be almost flat. So, so you're you're think, thinking we're set. You, so, what's the prob what t- probability of recession? I'd put it closer to sixty percent. Okay, and you're thinking sixty five percent in the first half of twenty twenty three. First half of twenty twenty three. Okay, and yeah, that Q three number, that GDP number, just like the first half of the year, it needs another asterisk because if you take out trade net exports, we're tracking 04 percent annualized, which is very very weak. Like inventories and net exports caused those declines in the first half of the year. Now that's adding to the second or Q3. But if you strip out the weakness in the GDP data, it's becoming more prevalent. Yeah. Well, it feels like if you strip out the net exports since this time last year, 
GDP yeah. has basically been flat. Yeah, we're moving sideways. We're moving sideways on GDP. Yep. On jobs, still lots of jobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. In fact, we got another strong data point there on UI claim, initial claims from unemployment insurance, which is a window into layoffs. They're very low. You know, just I'm puzzled by that. I was, huh? I was surprised because I thought yeah. the hurricane right. was going to choose yeah. Florida and they fell in Florida. So. Right. Right. So, okay, which indicates that the labor market's still strong mm-hmm. right? and not at all consistent with the idea that we're certainly uh, not in recession and it's not a recession is not imminent. And, and I'm not saying you guys think that uh, you're also a first half recession kind of guy too, aren't you, Chris and, and Ryan first mm-hmm. half 23. That's when you think the recession yeah, will hit probably more second quarter versus first. Yeah. Okay. That's splitting hairs, but okay. Well, fair give enough. me a little, uh, yeah. Yeah. color, a little insight. Yeah. All right. Very <laughs> you good. Give, you got to give a month, a day, an hour. Yeah. 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 So John, uh, one indicator that I look at for gauging recession, whether it's imminent or not, is the change in consumer confidence. Yep. Not, not so much the level. Right. Right now we know everyone's very pessimistic and dark. They've been that way for a while since the pandemic hit more or less. But it's really when it changes to the downside in a very significant way, because that indicates that consumers are losing faith, I think, you know, that they're going to hold on to their job and they go, oh, my gosh, and they stop spending. Uh, And that's recession. When the consumer packs it in, we go we go in. In fact, I'm sorry, this might be this might be the competition, but I I look at the the conference board survey, the monthly survey, and if, if by looking historically, if that survey, the index, falls by more than 20 points in a three-month period, we're in recession six months later on average. It takes about six months for that to happen. That's not happened so far. The last data point we got from the conference board was actually not bad. It actually improved a little bit. And three month, three, over the past three months, it's basically flat. So that indicates if history holds and that relationship holds, no recession, certainly into, into next year. Is that does that does that resonate with you? That kind of frame. I mean, certainly, it's the case that the it's the change in confidence that matters, and you see that really clearly if you start doing, you know, demographic breakouts or um, country country comparisons. You know, looking at difference in levels doesn't tell you a whole lot. But um, you know, for us, what we've been tracking for a while is this sort of ongoing divergence between what we've seen in confidence, which has fallen precipitously this year, roughly 15, 20% this year. And then, um, and then the actual spending data, <laughs> you know, it's held up remarkably well. Uh, when you go back and look at the updated uh, national accounts data, it looks even better, I think, in hindsight, the first half of the year was pretty strong. And so there's something going on there. I think that is largely this really, really strong jobs market and a in a robust war chest of savings. We're starting to see that savings dwindle pretty rapidly. And then there's sort of a question of whether or not the income stream that consumers are benefiting from in the form of wage, you know, wages will dry up. Um, what, what I can tell you most recently is that confidence is yet again falling, despite the fact that gas prices have kind of leveled out. They've, they've in, they're increasing a little bit, but it's a pretty dramatic difference from, let's say, what we saw over the course of the summer, where this rise in gas prices was very, very strongly correlated with the fall in confidence. Oh, interesting. So is this the 
uh, uni- the questions that are similar to the University of Michigan survey? Yeah. Okay. So that daily survey that you do, you're saying recently, what, last couple, three weeks? is Three weeks was the, was the other turning point, yeah. And is that broad-based across all demographics, high-income, low-income? Basically, and what, what I've been watching really closely mm-hmm. is the older adults. It feels like they kind of get how inflation is likely to play out and affect their finances in a way that younger adults don't. And so older adults in many ways have been a sort of a, a leading indicator of the, of, of the broader consumer sentiment um, over the course of the last 12 months. And older adults have become noticeably more pessimistic about the economy in the last three weeks. And we're starting to see that effect, essentially sort of trickle down like a waterfall effect to hit other age groups. Oh, that's interesting. So, so your data would be consistent with this frame of fall, falling consumer confidence leads by a few months, and you, this weakening you're seeing right now would be, if it continues, would be consistent with uh, the uh, forecast that you made that we're going to experience some negative numbers in the first half of 2023. I think that's right. Yeah. Although yeah. I, I should add, and maybe it's it's surprising, but you know, the com- you mentioned the Commerce Board; they have a lot more focus on labor, labor. market outcomes. Mm-hmm. We track you know, whether or not employed adults expect to lose income, that number has continued to fall. So among people who are working, it's really something like 9% expect to, you know, have some sort of pay loss, which is down from 12, 13, 14% earlier this year. So the people who have their jobs are really, really feeling great about it. Um, And there's a question of what sort of shock might happen, I think, that could dislodge those folks. Yeah, could it be the case that this recent weakness you're seeing, particularly among older Americans, is related to the weakness in the equity market? I mean, we we saw a pretty sharp decline. Yeah. Okay, also very possible. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, all right. So you're you're pretty pessimistic as well. Um, not as not as dark as these two other guys, but uh, pretty pretty pessimistic. But if if your forecast is correct. It sounds like we need to continue to see uh, further weakening in sentiment here, which will ultimately have to show up in spending. Uh, That's right. Okay. All right. Um, let's do this. Let's play the game, the statistics game. I think this is a good place to play it before we go back to some of the other work, John, that you're doing, survey work uh, that uh, we want to talk about. Uh, the game, uh, as uh, most listeners know, is um, we each put forward a statistic. Uh, the rest of us f- tries to figure that out through uh, questions, um, uh, clues, deductive reasoning. The best uh, statistic is one that is not so easy. We get it. We get it quickly. Not so hard that we never get it. And ap- it would be nice if it's apropos to the topic at hand. But I'll warn you guys: mine has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> so here, it's going to be a little tough. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a few hints. Did it come out this week? It did indeed. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I'm not sure if I, I answered that question the way I answered it, it will help you or hurt you but okay. uh, in your quest. But uh, it is relevant in that sense. It's timely. Let's put it that way. It's a timely statistic. All right. Okay. All right. Who wants to go first? Uh, Ryan, you want to go first? Yeah. No, let Chris go first. A lot Chris of housing first? data. Okay. Chris, you go first. All right. Uh, and I have a feeling this is a housing statistic. It's got to be. Uh, uh, let it, me guess what it is already before you even say it. No, right. <laughs> no only kidding. Here's Go my hint. It, it could be a housing statistic, but oh. it's another statistic that if you get this, you know, 
multiple cowbells. I'm a god. I'm a statistics god if I get this. Oh, this is, uh, uh, if this Mark is gets this, then there's collusion. <laughs> no collusion. <laughs> there is no collusion. The number right. that. My number is 35. 35. Yep. Okay. Is this buyer traffic from the NEHB? Oh, well, that would be the housing. Over what period? What? 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 Next six months. Next six months. That would be the. Uh, that would be the legitimate thirty-five to guess. So I'll, I'll give you the the cowbell for that. But, no, wait yeah. a second. But that wasn't your statistic. <laughs> but uh, well, there's another not, thirty-five out there. That's, 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 that's also not fair. Hey, there's you know? another thirty-five out there. All right, there. take there's it another, back. What? You can't give a <laughs> cowbell for a statistic he just made up. Even though it's just thirty-five. Well, wait, wait. I said it. I said that that I said it. There was also a thirty-five that was housing related, and that's the one. So, oh, yeah. I see. I missed. So it. I, I think so it's okay. this is Cal- another thirty-five. Cal- 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 the thirty-five no I want to talk no, about is different. No units that. required when you when you play well, this game. Just... If you if you need the units, John. I mean, that, okay. you know, come on. <laughs> if you need the units. Well, give me okay. the units. Is this a percent? No. Is it a statistic that came out this week? Yes, it was reported in a Wall Street Journal article. Oh my! Oh, good wow. God! It is a statistic. It comes from a legitimate agency, but uh, so we, don't, agency. we don't cover this on <clears throat> no. economic view. No, no. Is it is it, is, is it housing related? <laughs> no. Oh. What is it? Uh, one of your like random survey? <laughs> is it survey based? Nope. Would no. you like the units? Yes, please. Yes, <laughs> yes <Jackson. laughs> 35 ships. Oh, is that ships? the number? 35 ships, ships or ships? Ships. 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 Boats. Large boats. Boats. Yeah. Is that the number? Is that the number of boats parked off Port of Long Beach? No. No. That's uh, actually down. I hear. I heard that's down to nothing now. It's, oh. That maybe they're just managing it. They're all out yeah. in the Pacific. It could be. But is that the number, not that. number of ships in... Uh, Shanghai port? No. You're getting further. Oh, further. Um, hmm. This is wow. relevant. I promise it has relevancy. No, so. it's, it's got to. <laughs> uh, is it related to supply chain yeah. issues? Uh, not particularly. Oh, okay. Uh, the, is it ships parked somewhere? It is ships somewhere. Parked. Russian energy ships. Oil, Oil energy. Energy. Uh, you're on it. Oh, it's the okay. Go ahead. It's I, uh, there are five ships that uh, LNG ships oh. that are parked off the coast of Europe. We should have known that. Unload. That's a lot of ships. It's it a lot of like. ships. They are uh, so they're not unloading the gas that they have because so far the weather has been mild in Europe. Oh, so they're not drawing down, and then they're they're at capacity. Storage is 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 maxed out. So they are. Isn't that interesting? But they're waiting there because. You know, they expect that prices are going to rise. So it's still in their interest to to wait. So my optimistic view is that that's that encouraging. Actually, that actually could help us in terms of keeping energy prices down, right? Well, you saw right. a big drop in UK utility prices recently. Exactly, yeah. oh, and and in the EU or in, in Europe overall, because of this or something else. Well, I think it's a mix, right? A mix it's, of things. Yeah, right? the demand. So. The other factor is um, China, which we, of course, now we don't know what's going on there. So they're not releasing uh, GDP oh, yeah, stats. But right. if there's weakness there, right, that's uh, lowering demand uh, potentially. So there's that. And then the supply um, uh, certainly is, is encouraging as well. 
Yeah, that's that. Actually, that's a really good statistic. Um, I thought so. I thought yeah, so. yeah. I mean, impossible for us to get. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, but, but nonetheless, you know, yeah. very interesting. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, they're at capacity right now in terms of their LNG storage, or very uh, very close to it. They actually didn't. They don't have capacity to unload more ships East. at this point. I so. see. Well, that may explain why natural gas prices here in the U.S. Are, are also down, right? Because we're back down to like $5 per million BTU. We were almost double that, I think, back. Yeah, we we're close to coming. 10, right? Yeah, so that's that's also encouraging for us in, in prices here. Uh, I also noticed that storage or inventory of natural gas is pretty strong here as well. It's been surprising to the upside. So I guess that's all consistent. Oh, that and that may go to... Exports are down from the U.S. as well, right? So that right. it all fits. Okay. Yeah. Ah, well, connects are, the dots are being number. connected yeah. in my mind. See how that works? Yeah. So it could help. It could yeah, certainly it could help. help the inflation uh, picture here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very good. Okay. That's a good, that was a good one. Hard, but a uh, good one. Um, John, you want to go next? I'll go. I, you know, I should say, I'll preface this by saying the last time I was here, I think Ryan guessed this in like two, two seconds. So I have dramatically changed the scale oh, no. <laughs> and shell shot. A, a slightly more arcane, um, less well-known statistic. So this oh. is, uh, the statistic is zero. I'll give you the, the units too. It's 0 0.9 percentage points. That's a statistic, 0 0.9 percentage, percentage points. points. Came out this week. Came out this week. Is it something that you guys It's not okay. publicly <laughs> available, government released. Is it 0 0.9 um, related to industrial production? Nope. It's not. Uh, and housing? No, it is related very closely to something that is near and dear to what I'm working on. Inflation expectations? No. Uh, he, he paused. Did you notice that? He, he hesitated. No, no, sorry. It, it, yeah. Sorry, that was, a, that was a head fake. But related to consumer spending in some way? No. No. Wages, incomes, closer, closer. Oh, is this median usual weekly earning? Or what was it? Cl closer in the in you've got the you got the wages BGC, correct? BLS Bureau of Labor Statistics. Okay, what else came out from the BLS this week? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, is it wage related? Labor market related? Labor market related. Um. Oh, is this? Is that that uh, ratio? The insured or? unemployment rate? No. That's no. no that's one no. percent. That's is it one percent? It mm -hmm. It's uh it's regional data. So you've got uh, to you've got to pull things back a little bit and, and dive in a little deeper. Wow. Oh. did this come out today? Oh, the this state morning, regional employment? state unemployment. This week. There we go. Chris is starting to think. That was this uh, morning though, right? No. Uh, Wait, are you going Oh, is that the, the unemployment rate in Iowa? It's work. Indiana. 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 Well, this is the, this is the, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. No, 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 this it's is fine. Not, We're just going to name all 50 states. We're just going to name all 50 states. All in the Midwest, it's Nebraska. The state, it's the highest it, it was of the month over, it's a month over month change. And this oh. is the highest month over month change. Oh, you um, This is hard. Yeah. So it's yeah. the largest increase in the state unemployment rate. In not an unemployment rate. Wow. Oh, I think we should give up. This is getting embarrassing. Yeah, this is, um, it's embarrassing. Ryan's getting embarrassed. Look at him. Yep. So we got a two-month lag on this. So today, or uh, yesterday, they released the state-level quits rates. 
Oh, oh, wow. wow that wow. is digging deep. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so that is the value for Oklahoma, which had the highest month over month cha- increase in uh, state level quits, but that's for August. And the only reason I know that is because we're doing a lot of state level uh, analysis of whether or not employed people are looking f- are actively applying for other jobs. So we track on that same consumer confidence survey, we track whether or not employed workers are actively applying for other positions and trying to figure out what sort of dynamics we can identify at the you know state and MSA level. Hmm. So I think I think John gets it. That is probably the most difficult statistics that we've ever had. Well, yeah, ever I, had. Come on. I think last time, Ryan, I don't even think I mentioned it. I think I had said, you know, well, no, that one was I, good. I that was good. You, you guessed the thing right away. Ah. So, okay. These guys are pros. Let's come in and be a little bit more prepared. So, but yeah. in general, quit wow. rates are coming, they're elevated, they're high, they're, but they're high. coming down. Apparently, I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical oh. of that. So, really? Uh, well, the okay. reason I say that is really? LinkedIn came out today with an indication that, that they're, um, they're, what their, their proxy for quits is, is back up. The, the national number that we track has started to trend higher again. So, the quits number is for September. Uh, September, I believe, right? It's yeah. the most recent data that we have. Um, so you're right that September it, things fell. I, I'm skeptical that that trend is going to hold. Oh, well, that'd be a problem, actually, right? Because quits are tied to wage growth. Wage growth is tied to inflation. That's tied to what the Fed's going to do or not do. So uh, quits start moving back up again. That that feels really, that doesn't feel right to me. Uh, but wow. But you're right, though. Like, Forecast the employment cost index, which yeah. is our preferred measure of just use quits rate. It does a really good job. Yeah, that would be that would be disappointing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, mm. all right. Well, uh, that really tested us. I have to say, John, that was tough. <laughs> yeah. That was tough. Oklahoma, Oklahoma. The change in yes. the right. quit rate <laughs> That's in right. Oklahoma in August. Okay, right. okay. <laughs> Right. Preliminary too. Well, that'll be revised. Oh, preliminary. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, seasonally adjusted or unadjusted, John? Seasonally adjusted. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to give us the unadjusted change. Yeah. So yeah, now uh, thirty-five ships off the coast of Europe. Yeah, now that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's easy. Not that. Ryan, show us how this is done. Give us a statistic that we have <laughs> some reasonable probability of getting. Go ahead. All right. Uh, minus eighty-six percent year over year. Minus 86 percent mm-hmm. uh, year over year. A right, I'll give you another, I'll give you a hint. Okay. So if you look at the level, it's the lowest since the late 1990s, early 2000s. Uh, this late week? 1990s, early came 2000s. came out this week. Uh, uh, down 86 percent. It's an economic statistic that came out this week. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, economic statistic. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not a financial market variable nope. or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Commodity. Um, uh, is Chris, it labor market? This. Is it I housing related? It's housing related. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's is also that tied something into around the consumer? inventories? Inventories? It's not inventory. No. Um, it's not mortgage, uh, purchase mortgage. Ooh, getting close, Chris. Refi? Refi. Refi. Yep. Refis are down 86% year over year. Yeah. And that index is the lowest since the so if you look at the refi 
index itself. It's the lowest since the late 1990s, early 2000s. So yeah. it ties us back into the housing related data, but also consumers. And they're not, yeah. homeowners aren't refinancing because of higher mortgage rates. So yeah. Well, let me, let me reverse the game on you. What do you think the average interest rate is across all mortgage loans outstanding? You take all the loans out there, look at their mortgage rate, take an average. What do you think it is right now? 3.8. Pretty close. Three and a half, three and a half percent. So, okay, you're three and a half in the more the current mortgage rate is well over seven, isn't it? On a 30 year fix. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't. You're locked in. Well, yeah. The only reason you would do it is you need desperately need the cash, right? Right. Cash, so-called cash out refi, but you'd have to be pretty desperate to do that because that'd be pretty expensive to do. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. You want a a number that's more (laughs) difficult than John's? More difficult than the change in the quit rate in August yeah. in Oklahoma, yeah, seasonally adjusted. And I won't let you guys that? suffer too long. Yeah, thirteen. Thirteen. Uh, are you 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 really want us to try to figure this out? Just take one shot. Uh, There's a number of references. I'll give you a very easy clue. Beige book. Uh, yes. Oh, way to go! There's uh, no data in the page book, but you can references to recession. Yes, there there's thirteen 13. references to recession in the latest page book. Mm. Zero in January. And these are comments that uh, the Fed collects from uh, businesses in the mm-hmm. district bank uh, areas, and exactly they're hearing so the word recession now. Yep, you're starting to see more signs and references to recessions. So. Yeah, and this goes to John's point about consumers starting to mm-hmm. lose their nerve because they're thinking recession too. Interesting. All right, Mark, let's, let's hear yours. Okay. Um, mine might be a little hard too, but uh, this Ryan, you should get this one uh, because it's, it's something that we've been talking about. Uh, 4.97%. 4.97%. Is that the, the terminal Fed funds rate that markets are... Uh, that's a good, no, I, that, that, that could be. I think be, that is also 4.97. I, I don't but, think it's is that high, 4.97? Yeah, I think it's close to five now. Oh, okay. No, I, that's, the, that's the wrong four point. I see, Chris, I do not award a cowbell to that because that's not the 4.97. Do you John, have that, your cowbell? It, it, Next I do. It is 4.97. I, right. I got my, I got my right. cowbell. Go. This is All from right. uh, VJ. So, so is this a financial market variable? It is indeed. Okay. It is indeed. And it's a, uh, uh, daily data point. Inflation but, expectations. One of your nope, <laughs> nope. Bond market type related of spread. Spread. Very oh, good. high yield corporate bond spread. Yeah, high yield yeah. corporate bond spread. Yeah, four yeah. nine seven. That's it's very uh, puzzling. That's um, four or four hundred ninety seven basis points. Four point nine seven. That's the difference between the interest rate on a. Uh, so-called high-yield corporate bond. These are bonds issued by corporations of lower quality, below investment grade, relative to the 10-year treasury yield, the risk-free rate. So on average, historically, that spread has been almost on the nose, 500 basis points, 5%. And it, you know, I'm, I'm taking it all the way back to when the junk bond market was put on the planet in the late 90s with by Michael Milken, 500 basis points. So we're exactly within a basis point, equal to the long-run average. Now, historically, uh, that spread will rise when the economy is under a lot of stress and recession is a real threat, right? Because investors think, oh, we're going into recession, businesses are going to start losing money, they're not going to be able to pay back their debt, therefore, you got to pay me a higher interest rate 
to buy that bond to compensate for that that risk, that default risk, that credit risk. But you don't see any of that in the data right now. None, zero. Um, so uh, how do you explain that? Except for it's not consistent with the idea of we're going into recession, at least not anytime soon. What, how else would you explain that? What's right? the what, what's the typical lead time? Uh, it it tends to start rising several six months before uh, yeah. b- from very low levels, and then once it blows through that average five hundred, that's about the time you know a month or two later you're in recession. But it, the trajectory is straight up, you know, straight up because defaults are start to mount pretty quickly. But you just don't see it in the data. Yeah, do you have any? Yeah, I think no, we talked about this. Yeah, I mean, at least historically, you can, you know, the high yield corporate bond spread is very closely tracks the VIX. So if you run a regression, you just model high yield corporate bond spread off the VIX. The VIX would say that the high yield corporate bond spread should be closer to 700, 800 basis points yeah. now versus 500. Right. And you see that relationship is pretty tight, you know, historically. And it's broken down since the financial or the, the pandemic. And I think our last podcast, I think we had, Aaron Klein from Brookings on, and him and I are, I think we're on board with the idea that there's moral hazard that you know central banks have gotten involved in the high yield corporate bond market or the corporate bond market. Bank of England next week is going to start buying corporate debt again, so maybe that is kind of causing this relationship to break down. But spreads should be a lot wider than they are right now. Yeah, I just that just I mean I hear you about the moral hazard. I just that doesn't feel right. I think put yourself. I'm an investor. I buy an investor in, uh, in in fixed income corporate debt. Do you think that you really attach a high probability that the Fed's going to bail you out? Well, I think it has to be a crisis. It has to be like yeah. pandemic shutdown before they would step in, right? No, but corporate profit margins are wide. Perceptions of credit risk are low. I mean, if you look at the Moody's default forecast, you know it's still very. It's going to rise. It's going to normalize a little bit, but I think they're forecasting two to three percent next year. So. I think that's also helping keep spreads tighter relative to where bond market volatility well, that's or my stock point. market. That's yeah. my point. Maybe the economy is, you know, you guys are too pessimistic, right? Mm. I mean, no. I mean, you, you know, just that, being realistic. But but the bond market is saying, you know, at least in this case, this statistic, if you take it at face value, maybe, you know, maybe there's other technical factors going on. Who knows? But that'd be pretty whopping big technical factor to wash out the, the messenger. I don't know. Just, I find that interesting. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. We've yeah. been doing a lot of, you know, work in this and trying to kind of date where we are in the credit cycle. Yeah. And things seem to be tightening, but they're not yeah. tightening so quickly that it would be a recession. Right. So, okay. All right. Okay. Uh, you see, John, that's what he does. He cherry picks. No, he, he looks I for mean, one I, number, one number out there that supports his non-recession. Okay, wait a second. I have four indicators I'm looking at for recession. One is the policy yield curve, difference between the 10-year and the Fed funds rate. That has to invert. The funds rate has to go over the 10-year. I don't know if you've noticed, but the 10-year keeps moving north, and it's now over 100 basis points, a full percentage point above the current funds rate target. So that's not consistent with recession. The, you got pretty I close earlier consumer, this week, though, right? What's that? You did see a narrowing between the ten-year and three-months earlier this week. I said the I said the funds rate. I said the funds rate. <laughs> the and don't forget and the funds rate. The funds rate. 
We, I'm just saying. I'm just these saying. These podcasts are recorded, Mark. So we can I go know, back. I'm just and saying, yield, I'm just saying. You've mentioned yield curves. You said the 10 2, the 10 3, the goalposts. I've got four <laughs> indicators. The second yeah. one is the change in consumer confidence. I have that's still not signaling anything mm-hmm. yet. No, what John said did my hair, what three hairs I have on my head did stand up when he said it. So I'm paying attention. Third is this the, the high yield corporate uh, bond spread. It doesn't doesn't feel like that saying recession dead ahead. Uh-huh. And of course the unemployment rate, which doesn't give you any lead if that's rising, but that rises more than half a point year over year, you're, you're in recession. But right now that's three and a half percent. And given the UI claims, doesn't feel like that's going to be rising here anytime soon. So the, those are the indicators that, that they would, you, historically they would be saying, if we're going into recession first half of next year, that they got to be tripping wires here pretty soon, right? Mm-hmm. No, I guess my only pushback there would be, you know, to say historically, you know, when's the last time that we had 8% inflation? I, I think it's a little challenging to figure out how this is all going to play out when this, the dynamics are so unique to this particular experience. I mean, that's maybe what people say about every recession, but um, you almost need to go look, I think, at emerging markets or places that have experienced fairly rapidly rising energy costs and inflation and figure out how that sort of plays its way through the economy. Oh, that's interesting. So you're saying uh, my indicators are sending false signals because of the, they're, they're skewed by or biased by the current environment. I mean, I think we're, everyone, we all have in the back of our mind, that you know, the financial crisis, credit conditions, hyper-focused on how mm. that might, you know, how a lack of liquidity might play its way through. Um, that doesn't feel like that's the case right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably not housing. So what, you know, how, what's the mental model for thinking about this particular recession and then how should we adapt our, our interpretation of a lot of the different indicators? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And talking about, uh, that the, uh, kind of the, uh, what, what's going on in people's minds. Let's, let's go back to your survey work on consumer, uh, inflation expectations yeah uh, because it, my sense is that if that's going to really determine to a significant degree fundamentally how things play out here if consumer so of course com, inflation expectations jumped uh first with the pandemic and then got pushed up much higher because of the russian invasion and the spike in oil prices and other agricultural goods prices and that increase in inflation expectations, first of all, sent the Fed on high alert and caused them to really pivot and start raising rates. But it also goes to the kind of surge in wage growth that was uh, out of bounds relative to kind of our traditional measures of labor market slack, like unemployment, like the employment to population ratio. And so uh, to get wage growth back in and to something consistent with the Fed's more normalized level rate of inflation, 2% inflation, those cons- those inflation expectations have to come back down. They have to, they have to normalize. And it feels like, uh, and I'm going to characterize the data and then turn to you and say, if I got it right, yeah. that it feels like it's starting to move in the right direction. Expectations of inflation are coming in, but they're still very elevated. Is that right? Based on your survey? Yeah, in the U S I think that's Right. Um, so we, I should say, you know, we've taken a, a unique approach to measuring inflation expectations. We call it the indirect consumer inflation expectations. It's a collaboration with researchers from the Cleveland Fed and uh, Brandeis University. 
And so what we do is we ask people, how much would your incomes have to change to make you equally well off for the changes in the prices of the goods and services that you buy? And so it's mm-hmm. really tying together this concept of wage growth and uh, price growth. And what we have seen, so we measure in the US 20,000, we do 20,000 respondents per week. And then on a monthly basis, we do, uh, I think we're now at 20 countries and we do 1,000 responses per month. And so just this past week, we've, we've seen a, a moderate decrease. So now I think we've got on the level front, we're at like 7.01% uh, for the 12. 12 month ahead inflation expectation. So it's a little high on the level front, but the trend has dramatically fallen from where we were in the middle of July. Um, I think what's interesting is it's just not, it's not a clear decrease. It's a it's like the 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 turning points are much higher now than it was during that earlier period over the summer, where just every month things got you know higher and higher and higher. Now we see it's down one week, it's up another week, it's down one week. Uh, it, it feels like consumers really don't know what to make of all this because you've got high levels of prices, but also concerns, right? That maybe, um, maybe we're going to go into a recession, maybe price, you know, that would sort of suck some of the wind out of these price increases. At the same time, I think I was talking about this earlier, you know, they were previously very strongly driven by gas prices. We're seeing that relationship dissolve a little bit. Um, and then maybe the last thing, not to sort of totally go off topic, but we just, we just published this today with the Cleveland Fed. So I think it's probably interesting, which is we ran a flash survey in the UK, um, trying to figure out if all this sort of uncertainty in, you know, political and economic uncertainty, how that was affecting inflation expectations there and saw pretty dramatic increase, particularly among people who followed politics, um, very, very closely. And so I think, so that so that's maybe the the high level piece. These are all twelve months ahead inflation expectations. Well, can I ask why twelve months? Did did you why not longer term? Well, we also have the five year number five too. Year, okay, where, where that was added after the facts. So we've got I think now only maybe three months of that data. But what's been interesting is we just don't see the. I mean, they're they're very very strongly correlated. We you see people who have higher higher twelve month inflation expectations in general tend to also have higher five-year inflation expectations, which is a little different than what the New York Fed reports. They sort of see a, a um, uh, they, they, the way that they are asking consumers, there's a greater difference, I think, between those two measures. Hmm. Um, so, so the one year ahead inflation expectations is 7%. That's right. Which obviously wow. is pretty elevated. Pretty uh, elevated. Of course, the the current inflation rate CPI consumer price inflation is a little over eight, so that's obviously influencing that thinking. But is is it is it what's the peak in that? I think the peak was uh, we saw it in at the third week of June. I think it was just shy of eight percent. Oh, so it's only it, come down a point. It never breached eight percent. Yeah, yeah. But it, oh. it was it was at let's say three percent in. February of 2022. I mean, the summer it was this. I mean, every week you could just feel it building. Uh, and then the other point I was mentioning is that while we've seen this decrease in the you know the, the measure of central tendency, the average that we report, um, the distribution of the respondents has fairly dramatically changed, with a much higher share at the end of that 
the tail. So you've got more people who who think that inflation is going to be something like you know ten percent or higher, mm. um, which is a little concerning. You know, it's hard to. And that's I think the the challenge with inflation expectations is figuring out how to make sense of it with a single number when the distribution might be evolving as well. Any difference across demographic, yeah. age, really strong, income? Really, really strong differences. Okay. Like here again, similar to confidence, you see higher, older adults, um, much more likely to have higher inflation expectations. Uh, they've been more responsive to changes in prices as well. It looks like younger adults, they, they just don't update their inflation expectations as quickly from week to week. Um, we see geographic divergences in general. Consumers living in metro areas that have elevated inflation also have higher inflation expectations. The same is true globally. Uh, I think it's consistent with some of that finding that, you know, people, people who know that inflation is a really big problem, all of a sudden they start tracking prices very, very closely. Mm-hmm. And it's a luxury essentially to be able to not have to worry about inflation and live your life and make your savings and spending plans in a world of you know, 2% inflation where it doesn't uh, change the cost of bread. Have you looked yeah. at to see if like food prices are a key contributor to short-run inflation expectations? Because they are, at least in the University of Michigan, it's, it's food prices, it's gas prices. I'd have to go look. I think what we've seen, we've seen food prices globally. I just don't think that we have enough uh, variation Mm-hmm. You know, at the monthly frequency with food prices to start understanding what it means at the weekly level for inflation expectations. Do you, you see any? Go ahead. See any difference by education? The New York Fed shows. We do see pretty strong differences. Pretty, difference, yeah. Yeah. pretty strong with, differences um, with higher uh, higher educated people in general have higher inflation expectations. Um, yeah, gender, matter, gender matters a lot. Males tend to have higher inflation expectations. Oh, is that right? That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder why that's the case. That's that's interesting. Huh. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, we're doing a lot of kind of partnerships with a few other companies to dive into the data and really understand sort of how these changes might be impacting. You mentioned you did a flash survey in the UK. Are, are you doing this same kind of survey in other parts of the world? Are you so, seeing the same dynamics everywhere? Um, well, slightly different dynamics. I think um, a, you know, a surprising finding was in Russia. <laughs> Following the invasion, we had a momentary increase in inflation expectations, and then it came down and it remained shockingly stable. That's consistent no. with what we've seen in our confidence data. And Do you believe that. anything, any survey you get out of Russia, though? I mean, if I were, Jesus, I'd be so nervous to answer it. I wouldn't. I'd be scared. Well, we're not asking them about their views on Putin. Uh, yeah, still, still. What we have seen actually in the since as soon as he announced the conscription, uh, we've seen a pretty strong and consistent decrease in in, in people. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so people are responding to yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. The, the, those, the, those are online the, surveys, right? Those they're all online surveys. Yep. Yeah. But the the. My experience thus far has been that, you know, those things like, um, you know, regime or level of economic um, development really dramatically affect the level. But as soon as you start looking at the trend, you can plot Russia on top of Europe and do a pretty direct country to country comparison. Hmm, I see. So 
what's the takeaway here? I mean, uh, my interpretation of what you told us, 7% down less than a point from the peak. I don't come away feeling warm and fuzzy. Not out of the woods yet. That's that's kind of my... um, I think we're still in the woods. It feels like to me. Yeah, still in the woods. Deep deep in the woods. And the distribution. Okay, that uh, that's your somewhat pessimistic outlook, I guess, because feels like you need to have much higher rates to kind of much slower growth to kind of ring that out. That's kind of how, how where you're coming down. I don't know if they're fully unanchored, but it does feel like this period of higher inflation is ingrained in consumer psychology in a way that it, it wasn't a year ago. That is interesting. Oh. Now the sentiment. The, the, if you look at the Mish You Mish survey yep. on inflation expectations, it, it paints a somewhat less dark picture, right? Yeah, although they both, I mean, the New York, New York Fed released something recently too. I think they're jumping yeah. around right now. And part of that okay. is just the monthly noise cycle. We're seeing, I mean, I, I what we see is consistent with theirs in the sense <laughs> that week over week, we're seeing a lot of more turning points than we saw three months ago. Mm. Okay. Mm, interesting. Uh, okay. Um, let me ask you, uh, we're, we're getting a little late in the, in the podcast here. I, I know you guys do so much interesting survey week uh, work and actually, uh, uh, I'm sure you recall, but we, we did some work with you back. Yeah, in, that was great. During, really that was great during that. the, pan- yeah. and during the pandemic really found, uh, that uh, very insightful work. Uh, I know you're working now on uh, remote work yep. uh, pers- uh, perspectives. Can you just fill us in on that? That's the topic we've been talking a lot about on the sure. podcast as well. So I think there are two things. I mean, I should say this. I'm sitting at home right now, so that should be. <laughs> I am. I, I mean, I mean three out of four of us. Three out of four of us. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> so there are two things. So on on the sort of the worker front we have seen very, very strong evidence that folks who work from home, um, first of all, that their their so-called burnout, their level of burnout is much, much lower. They report higher levels of job satisfaction, lower levels of work-related stress, even when you control for income, age, education, and and occupation or industry, sorry. And the second is that um, there's some evidence that that they also assign a fairly strong sort of financial value to having that flexibility and freedom to work from home. Uh, again, even after controlling for all those sorts of factors. So I think it's hard to see a world where you could strip people of working from home and not compensate them in some way. That that feels baked. It feels baked in at this point. And then, so that's that's part of it. The other part is we've started to run small business surveys as well. So from Q3, we, we saw, um, I mean, overwhelming majority, I think 55, 60% of small folks with 10 to 500 employees saying that they've operated in a hybrid work environment. Um, it, it just feels in many, many ways that that's sort of how people are expecting to operate going forward. I don't think that economists have fully thought through all the spillover effects of the ways in which that changes people's purchasing patterns, commuting times, and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's my sense. I think it's, I think the, the game has changed uh, meaningfully, meaningfully. Yeah, oh. This is why Chris is always grumpy. He's going into the office. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. The grumpy <laughs> economist. 
So I'm more productive. Um, any any insight into the question of productivity? I mean, to some degree, I guess that goes to if, people, if workers feel more relaxed and better about their work environment, they're going to be more productive. But I'm leaping. Is there any insight you know, we, there? We were running some survey questions asking people to compare their productivity to pre-pandemic periods. And that was showing that those folks who were working from home indicated that they were more productive than they were prior to the onset of the pandemic. But that data set, I think, just kind of became less and less um, trustworthy as, you know, it was very difficult to ask people two years after the fact to go describe what was, how much work they were doing now compared to two years ago. That's not sound survey methodology. Um, it is clear. I mean, that's that's something that Scott on my team and I talk about a lot of just those, you know, the productivity numbers are terrible. Yeah. They're really, really bad. And so when you talk about wages, that's one thing. But if you start talking about unit labor costs, it you know, it's a different, it's a different story. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we can go on and on and on, but since I've got you, one more thing. Yeah. We got these elections coming, right? Yeah. Uh two weeks, I think, less, less than two weeks. And I, I know you do a lot on uh, the other side of the house. You do a lot of political survey week. Any insight there? Give us any, can you handicap the election at all? I wouldn't handicap it because I do think it's going to come down to a lot of these contested races. It's very clear that Biden's approval rating is much lower than it was uh, uh, a year ago. We've seen some bounce back at the national level. I think well, you know, what we all know is just how important it is to go to look, you know, race by race, district by district and start breaking out that data. Um, I should say in some of the states that are some of the most contested states, we've seen that people's views of the economy, at least, have fallen fairly dramatically uh, relative to prior to the election in 2020. Hmm. So there's case to be made there that sort of the economy is certainly a headwind to um incumbents holding on to their seats in those battleground Senate seats. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Oh, kind of an open-ended question. Because uh, yeah. you, you are looking at a lot of different uh, survey results. What survey result has surprised you the most, most recently? Like you said, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, where did that come from? Anything interesting out there? I'm, I think I'm interested. <laughs> I think a lot of times it's making sense of the. Um, well, we've done a labor hoarding survey. That was interesting. We we the, the what la- labor hoarding labor so hoarding. We oh, okay. Spoke with uh, uh, small business owners and tried to figure out to what extent they were holding on to workers, even if they didn't feel like the demand was there. You know, basically it was a sort of a supply, uh, a supply, labor supply issue that was driving labor hoarding. Um, with some, I think, fairly strong evidence, in fact, that there was there was labor. There's evidence of labor hoarding. That's our. I I told you a little bit. We we just ran an updated um, random control trial, trying to understand the um, impact of wage expectations on inflation expectations. Oh yeah, and right. for the first time, so we ran this this the first wave um, almost a year ago, and now we ran a second wave, and there's evidence of causality running from wage expectations to inflation expectations in a way that that didn't exist before. It was strictly the the inverse. And so these, you're starting to see now some evidence oh, of this wage price st- spiral um, 
that was surprising to me. I thought, you know, I thought we had yeah. a, the uh, the first time we ran it was a twenty percent pass through. So basically, people expect to be made eighty percent worse off for a given uh, change in in prices. They they don't expect their wages are going to keep up with right. inflation. Right. Okay. Well, that that's a little disconcerting as well because, right, Ryan, you're. Your work has shown that it's inflation affects wages, but wages have not turned around and affect prices or inflation, so at least so far. So far. Yeah. 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 And that, we were using the uh, employment cost index, things like that to see it. So it's interesting work to look at inflation expectations, wage expectations. So you know maybe that's the early warning sign that we're moving from a price wage spiral to a wage price spiral. Be a problem. But big yeah. problem. Big problem. problem. Yeah. Okay. You guys are making me depressed. <laughs> I need to go back on the road. I go visit Iceland or something. Uh, uh, well, John, I want to say ships, Mark. Remember, 35. 35. That was a really good one, uh, Chris. Take that was a day. good one. Yep. <laughs> um, it, uh, that was the one positive news, I guess. Um, John, I want to thank you for coming on. It was yeah, a really very thoughtful and interesting and really appreciate your insight. This, this is a... Um, special podcast uh, because this is Ryan's last podcast on Inside Economics. And I, I just want to say, no, no, I, I, I do, uh, in, all, in all honesty, uh, being very earnest, I, I will miss you. Uh, your uh, insight, your thoughtfulness, uh, your wit, I'll even go far as to say your trolling, uh, you know, really added to this podcast, you know, made it what it is. And it's a success. You know, we've done in, in a little over a year, uh, I think we've uh, seen our listenership rise to a very significant degree. I get lots of great comments. Uh, wherever I go, people are listening. And they're, they're, uh, uh, that, a lot of that success goes to you, Ryan. So thank you. I want to thank you. I'm going to miss you and Chris <laughs> so much. I can't tell you like how much this place means to me. Uh, it's hard, but you know, just working with you guys for the last seventeen years has been—it's meant the world to me. Yeah, right, Chris. Anything you want to I, say? I still don't believe it. I you still don't believe it. I, yeah. I haven't fully processed it. Uh, yeah, it's it's. This is your last loss. podcast, though, right? Am I right about that? It is. This is my it last is. one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we do have Marissa joining, and we all. Oh yeah, love you're Marissa. in really good hands. We're in you good have hands. We're yeah. in good hands, but but you'll definitely I, be missed. Uh, thank you. We're going to be watching hole. the ratings very carefully here. Uh, that's a message to Marissa. Marissa, we're oh, watching I told the Marissa, ratings. I was like, you got to keep Mark in check. <laughs> Some, that's exactly passing so, the baton onto her, and she's good at that, actually. Yeah, she's but this podcast good. has been one of the highlights. It's every week I look forward to it. Yeah, I really do do as well. Well, thank you, Ryan. I really Thanks, appreciate Ryan. it. And, uh, thank you, everyone. One last uh, cowbell. Well, well, actually, you know, we, we got all these cowbells with the three of us on the cowbell. We're sending yeah. them to your home, all of okay. them. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have 10,000 cowbells. That's uh, perfect. Yeah, on your front on your front stoop. Well, when my kids get sick, they, they want the, the bell. So when they're upstairs and they're like, they need something, they ring the cowbell. So, oh that, no! Is that oh, yeah. right? Repurposed. Oh, nice. That, nice. Oh man, I nipped that one in the bud. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a bad. That was a bad mistake on my part. Yeah, bad mistake. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, with that, uh, we are going to call this a podcast. Uh, thanks, everyone.
Uh, talk to you next week. Take care. <laughs>